0: Megillah, Daf Yud Bet. We are continuing our long section of Agada explaining word by word, Pasuk by Pasuk, the beginning of Migilat Esther. Where we left off were a couple of a couple of calculations of 70 years. That Yeremiah had mentioned. Yirmiyah talks about this in two places in Perikafe and Kaftet, that this land of Israel will be uh, destroyed and the um, Israel will be subservient to the king of Babel for 70 years. And then afterwards, Hashem will remember us. And again, here uh, at the end of 70 years, Efkod Etchem Hashem will remember Bnei Israel and bring them back to the land. When exactly is the 70 years counting from and to? So we saw that Belshazzar and Ahasuerus both tried to make calculations because they were afraid of this prophecy of Yirmiyah, and they didn't want the Jews to come back. And in their calculation, when they saw 70 years passed and it didn't happen, they made a party, but they were both wrong in their calculations. And so now we begin with uh, the statement of Rava. Even Daniel tried to calculate it and was mistaken at first. In chapter 9 of Daniel, it says in, this, uh, first, in his first year of reign, I looked at the books. Daniel opens up the, the various scrolls of, that he had. He probably had a copy of Sefer and the Torah and maybe some other historical records. And he wants to know when are the 70 years going to be up? Now, since it says Binoti, I had looked and meditated on it. It means that he had made a mistake and then he realizes his mistake, and So he wanted to know what it was. And in the end, uh, he can't figure it out himself. He prays and prays. And finally, uh, the angel Gabriel comes and gives him an answer. And just to review what he says there, um, we actually have uh, a couple of interpretations of, 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 uh, of what, what Yirmiyá's uh, prophecy came to be, uh, how it was fulfilled. Number one is um, that the Peshat, I think, is that he says, you're going to be subservient to Baveil. Well, we're subservient to Baveil under Yehoiakim when Nebuchadnezzar begins his reign in 605, and the kingdom of Baveil lasts from then until Cyrus destroys them in 539 and takes over and tells the Jews they can come back. Uh, that's almost 70 years, and uh, you know, by the time he actually gave that decree, might might have been a couple of years later, so 605 to 539 or so. Uh, this seems to be the original Peshat and the understanding that you'll find in Sefer Debraimim and in the Book of Ezra. Uh, the second way of interpreting it, this, um, which we'll see, is not there is not subservience to Bavel, but rather destruction of the first Bet Bet-A-Mikdash in 586 until reconstruction of the second Bet Bet-A-Mikdash in 516, which is also 70 years. Is another way to calculate it. Uh, Daniel over there, uh, he seems to be not accept either one of these because even after the Bet mikdash is rebuilt. Under the Persians, we're still under Persian rule. We don't have independence. And for him, the true independence number totally only comes in the time of the chashmonaim, when we kick out the foreign forces, the Greeks, and have our own independent state. And so if you look in Daniel chapter 9, I recommend reading it inside, and you'll see that the angel Gabriel says 70, when Yirmias said 70, he means 70 shemitot, 70 sets of seven years, which is actually 490 years, uh, so this goes way from the Babylonian uh, times all the way until 164, uh, when the Hashmonaim uh, win, and or maybe a little bit later than that when they actually create an independent state. <clears throat> all right. Anyway, that is Daniel, and so the rabbis are noticing that Daniel had trouble making the correct calculation. Also, and so the rabbis now are noticing that. The language in Jeremiah is different from the language in Daniel. In Yirmiyaz says, uh, you're counting 70 until the end of Babel, until Babel's days are finished. And that would be the first interpretation we saw till 539. Uh, whereas in Daniel, he says, I want to figure out the 70 years for the des- desolation of Jerusalem, which sounds more like the second interpretation. How long will Jerusalem be destroyed? Either meaning the Bethlehem Zash will be destroyed or Jerusalem being under foreign rule. Um, and so, well, which one is it? How could Daniel say he's looking He's looking towards the end of the destruction of Jerusalem, even though the pasuk says the end of Bavel. And lifkidah be'alma. Or when the pasuk says till the end of Bavel, it means etchem, I will remember you. Remembering is only the beginning of the process. That's when Hashem tells, tells uh, Cyrus, v'heinu that's when Cyrus announces that Hashem has told him that he should allow the Jews to come back and support them in rebuilding the Bet Hamikdash. Cyrus never accomplishes that, or slash, the Jews never uh, take advantage of that policy and do not are not successful in rebuilding the Bet Hamikdash during the time of Cyrus. That in five thirty nine, but only later in five sixteen. And so, nevertheless, the beginning of the process is the Pekida, And uh, Daniel was like, "Wait, that didn't. We didn't finish it yet. Uh, when is the when is the full process going to be?" That's what he was talking about, and that's why he asked, "When will be the end of the destruction of Jerusalem?" Now, Darash Rav Nachman Bar Chista, my Tivko Amad Adonai, Limshicho lechoresh. This is an astounding pasuk in Yeshaya where Hashem is speaking to his Mashiach, who is Cyrus. Um, The word Mashiach literally means someone anointed. Uh, Usually a king gets anointed. So when we think of Mashiach, usually it refers to, we think it refers to a Jewish king, someone from the line of David, who will be a leader and kick out any foreign uh, rulers and therefore have a sovereign state in Israel under our own king. And yet, this pasuk in Yeshayah calls Cyrus the Persian king Hashem's anointed one, like he's the one that's going to bring the it was going to bring the redemption. So you see in the pesach Yeshayah um, uh, this pasuk in Yeshayah thinks of um, Kodesh as being the redeemer, and even though surprise surprise he's not Jewish, nevertheless he fulfills the role that we are looking for, which is to allow the Jews to come back to the land and rebuild the Bet So since he fulfills that role, he's called, sent by Hashem. He is anointed by Hashem. Okay, so that's pretty significant. Um, but then the Talmud doesn't accept that. Kodesh, <speaking in Hebrew> Mashiach Can you say that? Kodesh was Mashiach? He's not Jewish. Doesn't make any sense. Um, it would be kind of like today, if uh, maybe some non-Jewish leader, a head of an evangelical group or something, would come in now and say, "I'm going to pay for, and I then I took care of all the politics and everything, and I'm going to rebuild uh, a better mikdash," you know, and he goes and and does it. What would we say? Would we say? Um, it's illegitimate because it has to be a Jewish leader that does it, or would we, would we say, oh, this guy's Mashiach, he accomplished it somehow, right? I imagine there'd be a lot of debate if such a thing happened. Well, there was debate back then too. And so the rabbis say, no, Kodesh can't be Mashiach, Leha Kadosh Ani Al Ani Hu Beti, so the rabbis are rereading the pasuk and says, Hashem so told the Mashiach, whoever the Mashiach was, and he said about Kodesh, regarding Kodesh, Hashem said to the Mashiach, I have a complaint about that guy Kodesh, you know, I told him to build the Bet mikdash and he Designated someone else to do it. He gave out. He gave out the responsibility to someone else. I said, "Who Yivne?" And he said, to, "Told the Jews, hey, anybody want to go and build it?" No, he should have done it himself. When something is important to you, you take it upon yourself. And so that way, by putting the comma here, Kodesh is not the Mashiach himself. All right, that is really fascinating. And now we go on to the next words in Megillat Esther: Chel Paras <laughs> Umadai Ha partemim um, so um, uh, after he thought that he uh, is successful and the Jews are never going to come back. And so then he makes, he invites all the guests and among his guests are the uh, army of Persia and, and, uh, and Medea, uh, the nobles and the princes of the provinces. And we have a question because at the end of Megillat Esther, it talks about the Kings of Madai and Paras, well, which one is it? Look at the order: first Paras or Madai, then Madai or Paras. Like, which one is in charge? Who's the one that's more important, and who's secondary? And Rava explains that these were two kingdoms, and uh, Persia took over Madai, but nevertheless, Madai was quite strong, and so they were like a uh, the minority uh, group in the government. And so they, they made a deal with each other and they said, listen, we uh, whoever is going to be the, the government, whoever becomes the king, then the other party, the other group will be the ministers. And if you become the king, then we will be the ministers. So that way, there'll always be a balance of power between... Paras and Madai, and so at the beginning of the Megillah, Paras was uh, was the king, Madai was secondary, and then they had a new election. I didn't have elections, but however, they uh, appointed people. Uh, Madai became more uh, the king, and Paras got the secondary position. But the, even the minority group was always represented in the government. Okay, et Osher kevod malchuto. Then Yacheshvedo shows off all of his riches. And this we learn from here that Achashverosh went and was wearing the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. Um, which uh, uh, once again we have to keep in mind the chronology in the peshat historical chronology. Achashverosh lives uh, in four eighty after the Bet HaMikdash had already been built for some 40 years. And so, you know, the the garments of the Kohen Gadol would have been with the Kohen Gadol. However, in the Midrashic chronology, Ahasuerus lived during the exile uh, before the Bet HaMikdash was built. And therefore, the clothing of the Kohen Gadol and all the, the vessels and everything which were taken by the Babylonians were then, Uh, taken over by the Persians, so he had this in his palace, and to show off his grandeur, he wore the clothing of the quen gadol, because the same words are used in both places. Here it says the uh, honor of his majestic uh, greatness, and regarding the uh, a description of Bigdek and Gadol at the end of Shemot. It also says, Lechavod to Gadol will wear them for his honor and glory. I think the parallel is there and actually makes even more sense if we recognize that the Bet was up and people were celebrating Pesach in Yerushalayim at the same time as Achash uh, was making his feast um, there, if you do the calculation, right, that was also on Pesach, and the question is like, hey, Jews, what are you doing in Shushan when you could uh, be in, uh, in Yerushalayim celebrating uh, Pesach in the right place, right, in, Sh- in Yerushalayim Habira rather than in Shushan Habira? the only two cities that are called Habira in Tanakh. Okay, so I think uh, the rabbis are correct to make this uh, connection between the clothing of the Kohen Gadol and um Ferdosh's party. And uh, when the days uh, were fulfilled and the king made a feast in Shushan, so Rav and Shmuel had a controversy, was a a wise king or a foolish king? It's really a good question when you read Megillat said, like what is his character? So one opinion says he was intelligent in one way. First, he made a party for all the people around in the uh, in all the provinces, and then after that, he made a second, shorter party for those closer to him. And that makes sense because you should always bring close the people that are more distant. And you want to make sure that they are your supporters because the people that are residents in your own city, for sure, they're going to back you. Um, it's like, you know, if someone's running for president and he's from, uh, uh, from, uh, uh, from the state of North Dakota, so he, he should go and campaign in other states first because he needs those votes. Of course, the people in his home state are going to support him. So that is a wise thing to do. And other says, no, he's foolish because he should really do the other thing, other way around. First, he should invite the residents of his own city. Make sure to solidify your base. And only then go outside. Because if others will, will rebel, the outside ones will rebel against him, you want to make sure that those closest to you will defend you. So better to do your base. And he didn't do the other. He didn't do that. So therefore, he is foolish. Okay, good. Two uh, different opinions about um, uh, how to uh, how to run for office. Okay. sha'aluta midav et on bar son yisrael ha'dor kela'ya. Good question. What was? What did the enemies do of Iz, of Israel? Euphemism means for Israel. What did the Jews do wrong that they were liable to almost be destroyed? Right. What sin did they do that um, uh, that Hashem allowed uh, Haman to go so far and almost kill them? says, "You tell me. What do you think, students?" Because they uh benefit they benefited from. The uh, meal, the, fe- the uh, party of that evil person of What are you doing at this party? At a crazy, drunken party, right? It's not appropriate, right? You shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't have been there. And therefore, since you were there, okay, you throw your lot into a, a-, a- Vedosh, will be your king. You'd rather he be your king than Hashem. Uh, so that they got what was coming to them. Um, however, Rebbe Yishimah uh, rejects that. Then only the Jews of Shushan should be should have punishment. They're the only ones that attended the party. What about the Jews far away, Hodu and Kush? What did they do? They didn't attend the party. So why should they be included in the threat of destruction of Haman? So the student said, "Okay, tell us the answer. We asked you in the first place. We don't know." And the reason is because the Jews everywhere uh, bow down to the bow down to idolatry, um, and uh, might be referring to in the time of Nebuchadnezzar. We know Daniel and his friends didn't, but everybody else they were assimilated. Uh, into the common culture, religion, and that's why every that applies everywhere. Okay, interestingly, the bishop opinion here may relate to something he's going to say in uh, in a few dapim, uh in nineteen, actually, where he says uh, the When, do you ha- when uh, what how much of the Megillatestad do you have to read? Do you have to read all the way from the beginning? And uh, Rabbi Shimon says, no, you only have to start, have to start from by who, when Achashverosh couldn't sleep. In other words, from the turning point when things start getting good. You don't have to read the whole beginning of Megillat Esther. That's just incidental background. You don't need to know it. And that would make sense with his opinion here, because according to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the background, the reason why they deserve, were deserving was because of general idolatry that they were doing, not because they were sitting at the meal with Achashverosh, Whereas according to the students here, uh, the background story is necessary. And that's why we today, we start from the beginning of the story when he was making a party. That's the central background to say, why were they deserving? Because they sat in that party. Mordechai doesn't think that that was the reason why they were deserving, and therefore says, you don't have to read that part. Okay. Amru So then the student said, wait a thing, is there favoritism here? Why were they saved? Why were they saved? If in fact they followed idolatry, then the Jews should get the same uh, fate as other idolaters, and they shouldn't be saved. Amalham hamlo alsu'ala li panim afa kadash parkhudu asaymahin alla li panim tahanu dikhtiv kilo ayna mili ba this is no no the Jews they didn't really do idolatry in their hearts they only did it to show right they didn't want to stick out they did not want uh, people to, uh, to make fun of them or for the government to uh, put, get them in trouble. And so they did idolatry for show just to fit in, but they didn't believe it themselves. So and therefore, Hashem made a show of almost killing them, uh, make, having this decree upon them. But knew that it never would never was going to really happen, and uh, we support this from pasuk necha that he does not Hashem does not afflict from his heart. Right? I didn't mean it from in his heart. Uh, this is just uh, like a scare tactic uh, to say, you know, look, almost okay. We got the message. We got the warning, and uh, we, uh, we 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 will uh, repent and change our ways. Good. Now the king made a party. In the court of the garden of the palace, uh, so uh, that's a lot of different places. Which one was it, We're going to see three opinions about this. There were the, the guests had, uh, had different passes depending on their stature. Those who uh, were worthy of the courtyard, they went to the courtyard. Those who were more important went to the garden. Those even more important, they got you know, a special invitation that said, you can come to the palace. And that's the three different places that the party was. And the second opinion says, first, he invited them to the courtyard, but there were a lot of people that couldn't fit. Then he said, okay, open up to the garden, still couldn't fit. And then he had to open up to the palace. And finally, all his guests fit. And the third interpretation is that um, he opened up the courtyard, he put them in the courtyard, and the courtyard itself was open in two entrances, one to the garden and one to the palace, and that way they could access everything. Good. The next phrase says uh, the, the party was decorated with all of these fine uh, cloths, um, different colors, sky blue, so what, are, what is this referring to? What it refers to uh, something with holes in it, well usually you don't want to have hole, holes in your clothing, That is referring to some kind of fancy lace. Um, and so that was uh, decorated de- decorative at the party. <speaking in Hebrew> uh, these were carpets of white wool. Very beautiful. Karpas is putting actually two words together. It means cushion made out of velvet. I'm imagining the Jews uh, showing up to the party and uh, feeling the cushions and saying, what is this, velvet? and furthermore there were rods of silver rods and pillars of marble and couches of gold and silver uh, so which one was it were the couches made out of gold or silver and he says well it depends on your class if you're very important you've got gold Otherwise, you got silver. It'd be indicated on your, on your um, uh, invitation which one you're from. No, you can't have that. You can't have some people at the same party on different types of chairs because then they're all going to be envious. The people that you invited, oh, you're only a silver guest, right? And we say, oh, that's, that's how you treat me? They're going to get upset. He's gold? I'm better than him. Rather, these couches were made with... Uh, the out of out of silver, but the feet of the couches were had extra ornaments, and they were made out of gold. Uh, the pavement was made out of bat and, and, and marble. So, what does this word um uh, what does this word mean? Bahat uh, means that the uh, these were precious stones. That were uh, uh, would ingratiate themselves on their owners. Their owners would get pleasure out of having them because uh, there were such special stones. Pesuk <speaking> in Zechariah says, um, uh, "Stones of a crown, glittering over his land." So um, this word "mit sounds like "mit similar word. And the point is that they're glittering and make people happy and also these two other um, types of material, so what are these? Rav says it means rows and rows. There were nice, beautiful patterns uh, on the floor, uh, uh, made out of these uh, marble and precious stones in uh, rose and rose Shmuel says there's a certain precious stone out uh, in the in the in the harbors of the sea uh and on islands um and it's called dada and he' got these precious stones and he put it in the middle of the of the table, and it would illuminate. This was like a glowing stone. It was probably like uh, some kind of radioactive uranium or something, but it was impressive. It's called that because <clears throat> um, he proclaimed the remission of uh, for all the merchants that they didn't have to have to pay taxes. So right? He made a uh, made a special holiday. And uh, so Dar of right? Sohar,ard of all those that are Sohed, all the merchants. and so everybody was happy not to have to pay taxes.. And then he says that gave everyone to drink in vessels of gold and vessel, uh, and vessels of various kinds, Shonim. So we ask about the pasuk. Mishunim mi It should say, if you want to say different vessels, say mishunim, right? Very different from each other. Why shunim? So the explains explains from the language of second uh, repetition. And uh, an echo, divine echo, came out and said, an earlier generation, that of Belshazzar and his feast, remember that, right? They brought, he brought, he counted 70, and then he brought out all the vessels of the HaMikdash, and he got, got destroyed because he did that. And the Echo, the Vine Echo says, and you, now you're going to do the same thing. So Kelim Shonim is a repetition of a sin of bringing out the temple vessels. V'yen Malchut Rav, the royal wine was in abundance. Rav means a lot. Amar Rav, the sage whose name happens to be Rav, well, his name was really Rav Abba, and just call him Rav for short. It says, Rav can also mean elder, right? Like, Ya And so he says that the wine was aged. It was aged. Every got, everybody got wine that was older than he was, right? And so if you were 35 years old, you got a 36-year-old wine. and honest. the drinking was according to the law, and no one compelled. Okay, this is uh, I think supposed to be a, a funny uh, pasuk that they made a law about drinking, and the law is that you can drink whatever you want. Like you need to make a law. That's the same as making no law, right? Um, it was uh, it's a making a parody of the Persians uh, who were so bureaucratic that they made laws for everything, even things that are don't make sense. Okay, anyway, my khadat, but the Gemara wants to know. What does it mean, a law of drinking? Uh, That they made the law like the law of the Torah. In the law of Torah, when you have sacrifices, the food part of the sacrifice is much greater than the libation uh, of, of wine that one pours together with to accompany the sacrifice. And so therefore that's the law, the Torah law. And so too, at his se'udah, at his feast, Chashverosh made sure that there was more food than drink. And it's a funny comparison, um, but once again, kind of uh, reminding us of that comparison of like, you know, what are you doing here having the meat and wine in Shushan when, you know, Korban Pesach is waiting for you back in Jerusalem. So, uh, interesting comparison between the two. You're following Achashverosh's law rather than the Torah's law. And ones, Amarabi Amar Rabbi El-Azaman Ahmed V'Echad Hishka'u Miyen Medinato. Right? There's no one to compel. What do you mean? How, why would you, why would it be compelling to to drink? Um, I assume if they came to the party, they all, they want to drink. The point is that everybody had the wine that they liked. They had wine from every country so that if you come from Hodu, we have Hodu wine here, so you can feel right at home. Uh, sometimes when people travel, they want to find, try out different things, but some people they just always like the thing that they're used to. So you weren't weren't forced to drink from the local wine. He had wine from everywhere. And at the party, he wanted to make everybody happy according to every man's pleasure. So that's the Peshat that everybody had, whatever they asked for, whatever they needed. Um, but uh, Rava learns ish, ish is referring to specific people, Mordechai and Haman. They were uh, officials in the government and attendants. And so uh, no matter who you were and where you were from, uh, you would follow what uh, these uh, attendants wanted. Even though they were opposite people, uh, because they're both called Ish uh, Yehudi and Ish Sad Veoyev, and so there you go. That's the two. Uh, that's the two Ish v'ish. Um, uh, Simple meaning is uh, that a point my here might be that even two enemies like Mordechai and Haman, they got to the feast and everybody was happy. Everybody got along, even people that would have been enemies uh, like Mordechai and Haman. Um, okay, Masha has a fun explanation that Aman wanted, uh, Mordechai wanted everything to be kosher, and Haman said, oh, I wanted everything to be unkosher. And so they had to make everybody happy at this, uh, at this se'udah. Now, Vashti also made a, her own feast for women in the royal house. Now, we wonder, what do you mean in the royal house? She should be in the woman's house. Right, there's separate quarters where only the woman would be. That's where she should be, not in the main palace. And explains, "Oh, but well, You know what? They had separate parties, not because they're so modest and they want to have a mechitzah and you know, like a sebit. The men sit on one side and the women sit on the other side to for separation. No, no, it's the opposite. They only wanted to separate so that each." Achashverosh could go and sin with foreign women, and Vashti could go and sin and mix with other men. So that's why she wasn't in the woman's house, because she invited other men to be there, and that's why she was in the main palace. Be busine. And this is the popular expression that say, he with pumpkins and she with zucchinis. Uh, the point of the, uh, this uh, funny phrase is that when you see a guy who's a low life and, and cheating in his marriage, um, uh, you say, oh, too bad for his wife. You know what? Sometimes you look at the wife, she's the same way. They're fit for, for each other. Each one likes their vegetables. Each one is, they're both cheating on each other. And so don't think Bashti is so great herself. All right. On the seventh day, now the king was happy with wine. This is strange. Until it took seven days for Ahashverosh to have enough wine till he was, till he's uh, um, uh, drunk and merry, right? I mean, you know. That's uh good take. A, should, we should have that on the first day. So when we say Yom HaShavii, it's not referring to this happens to be the seventh day of the, of the party, but that seventh day is talking about, it was on Shabbat, whatever day of the party it was. On Shabbat, the distinction between the Jewish people and the non-Jews was apparent. During the week, however, you don't know who's who. Everybody's sitting there and drinking. But on Shabbat, is different because the Jewish people is true. Well, we eat and drink on Shabbat. But first, we uh, we start with Divirat Torah, and we sing some piyutim and pizmonim. And so we elevate the food and drink to uh, add to the joy and holiness of Shabbat. But other nations of the world, when they get together and party, they just start off with um, li- li- licentiousness. Um, you can kind of compare the, the uh, secular New Year's to the Jewish New Year, right? Secular New Year is just getting drunk and nonsense uh, whereas the Jewish New Year, we also, on Rosh Hashanah, we eat and drink, right? Beautiful uh, parties, but we get in together with family. And first, we spend a long time in uh, in Bet Knesset and pray. And we have Divrei Torah in classes and singing. And so we can elevate the material to the holy, right? Very beautiful, very important, the Rosh And that's the point on the seventh, on Shabbat, that's when the king's uh, negativity was highlighted on the background of the way that the Jews um, celebrate. And this is what happened at the feast of Achashverosh. It's like, he's so evil. We don't want to say his name. That evil person. That's the rabbi's uh, uh, quoting and and uh, poking fun at the kind of table talk that you might have at this kind of drunken party. And some would say, they would compare the women. Some would say, the women from Madai are the most beautiful. Others would say, no, the Persian women are the most beautiful. Uh, locker room kind of talk. <laughs> said, oh no, I, I have better than you. The vessel that I use is not from Madai, not from P- P- Paras, but rather, Kasti, uh, from, from the Babylonian Empire. This refers to what we said yesterday, that Vashti uh, is said to be the granddaughter of Nebuchadnezzar. And see, she's even better than everybody else. Um, you see from the, his language, he says, the vessel I use, uh, you know, referring, you know, thinking of a woman as sexual objects, objectifying. He's literally objectifying, calling her a vessel, right? That um, that I use, like, you know, use a cup to drink with. She's uh, She's my trophy wife then he says, you want to see her? Yes, we want to see her, but only if she's naked. And the Gemara comments on this, that Vashti, she deserves this humiliation. You know Vashti used to do? She would get a young Jewish, young Jewish woman and make them uh, strip naked and force them to do uh, to violate Shabbat, right? To violate Shabbat and do it in a in a disgraceful way. Because uh, they're learning this from a At the next day after the king got sober, he remembers what he remembers. Vashti and what she did. And the decree against her. So there's a parallelism between what she did. what do you mean what she did. The Peshat is that she didn't she refused to come to the to the party. And in Peshat, Vashti is a very neutral character. right you know, she doesn't do it. she's having her own party and she's actually uh, in a way admirable. She doesn't give in to the king's obnoxious demand. But the Midrash portrays her as the most evil. And so what she did, Oh, it's not that she just didn't come. She um, used to torture a Jewish woman, and therefore she got midah kinegid midah. On Shabbat too, seventh day. Vatemaena malka Vashti, And she refused. Mikadip parisa ta habay. Da'mar moor shenehened var and ka ve nomay tamala atai. Okay, so now that we already, we just uh, made Vashti into this uh, this the, the terrible um, uh, a licentious person. So then we say, since she was so so immodest, why did why did she, why did she care? Why did she say no? So her whole point, she made her whole her whole own, own party in order to sin. So why didn't she come naked? She's the type of person that would that would uh, have no problem, not be embarrassed about that. So to explain why she was embarrassed to come, uh, must be that. She broke out in leprosy. Now she's embarrassed to be seen in public. So that was a Biosay's opinion. But then there's a B'raita that says, The angel Gabriel came and made her a tail. Um, okay, maybe not literally a tail, but sometimes some kind of weird growth and made her look uh, abnormal and she was embarrassed to come. All right, this is the famous Midrash that all of our kids learn that Vashti had a tail. Um, it is uh, even though it's in brackets, it is found in all manuscripts, okay. And the king was very angry. Question What was he so angry about? Okay, so she didn't come. Like, why do you have to kill her? He wasn't angry just that she didn't come, she didn't know, say, Sorry, i uh, not feeling well. I have a headache. She gave, sent back a message and said, You are are my father's stableman. Uh, you are a low life, she tells her husband. so number one, you mean, assuming that Vashti's grandfather is uh, is Nebuchadnezzar, right? So then the point is Nebuchadnezzar at that time was higher up, and so. This uh, Persian would have been, uh, you know, a lower lower status, just a servant there. And furthermore, she says, <laughs> that Belshazzar, that would be her father, it says he drank wine with a thousand men. Now, that could mean just he had a large gathering. But here they interpret it to mean against a thousand men. He drank as much as a thousand people and he held his liquor. And uh, yet this guy, Achashverosh, he has a little wine and already he's senseless. And he's uh, all out of sorts. Says, yeah, you can't even handle your liquor. That's what she told him. And so, yeah, that would be very upsetting uh, to him. Okay. Okay. And uh, yeah, here it explains, Vashti belonged to the royal Babylonian family. Hashra descended from the uh, different dynasty, what that was a subservient to, to the Babylonians, and that's why he calls her uh, him a stableman. All right, So she sent back not just no, but insulted him doubly. So that's why he was so upset.. So then the king, uh, after this is now going back, when, he, uh, when she refused to come, he said, what do I do about this? So he wanted advice from his wise people. So who are the Chachamim that he asked advice? What should I do to my Tabashti who refused to come? And say, Bachamim Rabbanan. he went to the rabbis, to the, to, to the Jewish sages at the time, and asked them, Yodah haitim. How do even know that they're Jewish sages? Because it says, those who know the times, they know how to calculate the calendar. The rabbis were experts in this because they have to know, they have to know when the calendar is. And uh, so they have to figure that out. Um, Peshat might be referring to um, you know, the, the Kastim, the Babylonians. They were, they were experts in astrology and astronomy too. Astronomy and astrology. So he went to the Jewish sages and said, I want you to judge her. Now the rabbis are sinning among themselves and like, what should we do? If we say kill her, then tomorrow he's going to get sober and he's going to say, what did you tell me? You told me to kill her? Why would you give me that advice? And he's going to blame us. If we say, oh, don't do anything. Forgive it, right? Don't worry about it. Um, But then uh, we can't do that because she uh, made light of the king. And then he's going to say, oh, so you don't care about me? You take her side? Uh, So we can't be too hard. We can't be too soft. We're stuck. Anything we say, we're going to get in trouble. And so instead they uh, passed the buck and they said, listen, uh, from the day that our Bet mikdash was destroyed and we exiled from our land, we have no wisdom anymore. We're going from place to place. We don't, can't sit and, and think properly. And so we don't have the possibility of judging capital punishment. And you're asking a capital punishment, is she deserving of death or not? We don't have the authority or wisdom to decide. You know what? I have a recommendation. Go and ask Amon They are remained settled in their place like wine that is settled on its leaves. If you leave wine for a long time, uh, the um, uh, little uh, pieces of it go and settle on the bottom and the moav they've been there for centuries and centuries they never moved around and so they are more settled in their minds go ask them okay the tama amru and actually there is a good reason they have a good a good point because even in yirmiyah describing moab it says amru sha'anan moab okay to el since Moav has been at ease from his youth, and he never had to move around and never had to be in these in these battles and exiled. So he settled on his lees. He's not been emptied from vessel to vessel. So Yirmiya himself already uses an analogy of Mo'av to wine, not poured, but resting there in his place takes the advice and he goes and finds uh, these uh, Moabite advisors and it lists their names. pasuk ze but Rabbi Levi says no, this, don't take this pasuk literally. These are not names of actual people, but rather hints to various kinds of sacrifices that were made in the Beit Hamikdash. So again, another. Uh, another Be hidden reference here uh, I wonder if maybe it's because it's Aramaic right and uh, um, uh, so the angels are somehow speaking Aramaic or right, anyway um, so they told um, actually angels don't know Aramaic all right whatever uh, so the angels come before Hashem and they're pleading, on behalf, of, um, B'nei, on behalf of B'nei Stel. And they say, Hashem, why are you uh, persecuting the Jews, right? The other nations, did they ever offer to you lambs uh, from uh, that are one year old, like the Jews have offered to you? So be have mercy on them. Shetar, uh, torin. Shetar is a combination can- of two words, two turtle doves. Has anyone else ever offered you? To two turtle doves, as uh, as Bene Israel did, uh, do adama. Did other nations ever build a, uh, a an earthen uh altar, as the Torah says, and as the uh, Jewish people has done? Tashish Tashish has any other nation served you with the clothing of the of, of the Kohen Gadol, who has the various jewels, uh precious stones on his breastplate, including hashish. That's one of the names. Meres, bedam lefanecha. means to mix. Has any other nation mixed the blood for offerings? kilum uh, Also sounds like to mix. Uh, has any other nation mixed the um, meal offerings? has the word to prepare. Has anybody else prepared a table with the lechem hapanim before you? So all these are references that to uh, uh, two um, uh, arguments that the angel made before Hashem about the merit of Israel. Okay, and then, so after Achash um, uh, asked for advice, the next pasuk says, Memuchan got up and then said, right, you should kill her. Tana Memuchan zehaman. So Baita says, is none other than Haman. So why was he called that name? Because he was prepared to bring evil, calamity upon Israel. So it's the same play on words, both are ready, but this is a different interpretation referring to Haman himself. And you see from here that the common person jumps to the front. When it lists the advisors, Memochan was mentioned last. So that means he's the lowest of advisors. But one of the traits of people who are foolish is they jump and speak first and they jump to the front. And so here it's calling it's calling Haman literally hejot, an idiot. sorer And they send out letters after that. Um, because they want to make sure no one should learn from Vashti and disobey their husband. So they send letters to every home that every every man should wield authority in this house. That's the law. Okay. This is my favorite line from today. Zdaf uh, Rava says, if not for those first letters, there would not be left um, uh, there would not, no, there'd be not nobody left among the Jewish people. We'd all be destroyed. Why? These first letters were a parody. They were silly. When they, when people got them in their in their mailbox, could you imagine getting a letter? We decree hereby that every man should be the man of the house, and uh, all the all wives should listen. Right. I mean, uh, you get such a letter, everybody's laughing at it. What kind of silly thing is this? I mean, the got bad advice in the first place. You know, if you need a letter to show your wife, hey, look, uh, it says here I'm in charge, then forget it. You're already not in charge. Um, So because when they got that letter and the Migilat Estet is is portraying this as a parody to make fun of the Persians. um, And so uh, because people didn't take that first letter seriously, then. When Haman sent the letter to say, listen, on this date, everybody should rise up and kill the Jews. They already weren't taking any letters seriously because the government already made fools of themselves. And so this was actually uh, a, a fantastic, providential, important event that they got silly letters and didn't then therefore didn't take seriously the second letters. If they never sent that first letter and they only got the second letter, hey, everybody go and kill the Jews, they would have taken it seriously. And if everyone did that and ganged up on the Jews, the Jews would not have a remnant. Okay, what an amazing statement. Um, they didn't take it seriously because when they got the letter, they said, what is this letter? Every man should have an authority in his house. Of course. Of course. Even a weaver, who's the lowest uh, uh, type of occupation. So when he gets together with other men, they say, "Ah, oh, a weaver is nobody. But in his house, right? Everybody's, every man is the king of his uh, palace. So, Says, listen, we have to find to find a new wife. And so he points officers to go and say, I want you to gather all the maidens uh, everywhere to come here. On that, the B says a quote that says, Someone who is wise acts, acts uh, with the knowledge, but a full person acts with stupidity. Let's see how this what, what this applies to we're contrasting David when he was old and he was cold and um, they said, hey, let's, um, uh, his servant said, we will, w- right, let there be a search for the master for a young maiden to uh, be your consort. So um, when they made that announcement, everyone who had a daughter, they all were offering their daughters. Everybody wants their their daughter, to be the queen and marry the king. And so he did it in a smart way. He offered anyone to come and be the queen. Now, but in a stupid way, he went and said, I want to, I want to gather all the maidens. And <coughs> um, and the, the difference is that it was clear that his intention was that he was going to sleep with every single one of them, try them out. Now, no father wants that their daughter to be in that position—to be taken by the king, uh, and then and then returned. Now, use goods. Now, it's difficult for them to get married because only one is going to be chosen. Whereas David did it in a smart way—he would go and find the nicest, the, the best woman, and she will become king, and everybody else will go home and nothing. David only slept with one. Uh, the one who will become queen. So, everybody wanted their daughter to be queen. Nobody wanted their daughter to be used by a Hashferosh and then sent home as a loser. So, So therefore, and anyone who had uh, an unmarried daughter, they would hide her uh, so that she wouldn't go there. All right, very interesting. Really interesting to even compare uh, David to Hashferosh. Um, although, right, there are similarities there in that um, uh, 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 looking for a, uh, a beautiful wife. Okay, Ish Yehudi aya Beshushan habida. Ish Yemini. So it gives, when it's introducing Mordechai, it says there was Ish Yehudi. Now, Yehudi means he comes from Judah, from the tribe of Yehuda. And then it gives a lineage, right? Ben Yair, Ben uh Ben Kish, Ish Yemini. Ishimini refers that the fact that he was from the uh, from Benjamin. <laughs> so, well, which one is it? So, our first question is: What you want to tell us his ancestry? Fine, then tell us his ancestry and go back to Benjamin. But you're not going all the way back to Benjamin. You're only quoting a couple of generations. So what's the what does it mean that he was Ben Yair, Ben Shim'i, Ben Kish, right? What is the significance of those three generations of uh, ancestors? Tanak kulan al Shemon, nikri'u. And the answer is, these actually were not his father, grandfather, and great-grandfather. But rather, sometimes you say Ben something, like you say Ben Torah, it doesn't mean his father's name was Torah. When you may say that, you say this person loves Torah and learns it. That's why we call him a ben, uh, ben Torah. Um, so Ben Yair refers to Ben Sheir and Ahem Shah Yisrael, was someone who lit up the eyes of Israel through his prayer. Ben Shimi, Ben Sheshama, El Te a son who uh, Hashem heard his prayers. Um, uh, ben Kish Kish al Sham Kish that he on the gates of mercy and they were open to him. This is really interesting because if you look throughout Megillat Esther, you will not find anyone praying, uh, including Mordechai, which is unusual. In other books in Tanakh, you have people come and say, "Hashem, please help me." In this, in this uh, right, we need your help in the next war, in this next meeting. But there's no prayer mentioned in in, in anywhere in Miguel So you see the Midrash here is filling it in and say, Yes, he prayed plenty. And in fact, it's uh that's his nickname. He has nicknames because he was so good at praying and being answered. Yehudi Now the contradiction was he from the tribe of Judah, Yehudi, or was he from the tribe of Binyamin? Can't be both. So um, Nachman says Mordechai had, it was an honorary name. Um, when you say, <coughs> when you say Yehudi, it means he had royal, he had a royal uh, uh, um, designation. Um, so uh, even though he's not actually from the tribe of Yehuda. Amar Rava. Amar B'Yosho ben Abib in Binyamin, and Yehuda. Whereas the second answer here says, yes, he is in fact from both. From his father's side is from Benjamin. from his mother's side is from Yehuda. So we had both uh both of these lineages. And and third answer is that. That they were people were fighting about his lineage. Everybody wanted to say, "Oh, he's from our tribe." No, 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 he's from our tribe. So, and they here's the one argument on one side is he's from Yehuda. Um, No, so Yehuda would say he's he's not from Yehuda, but we Yehuda is the cause of his being born. How so? David, who is from Yehuda, he allowed Shimri ben Gerah to stay alive. Shimri ben Gerah went and cursed David, and nevertheless, David said. It's okay, let him live. He had mercy. Now, Shimi, Shimi ben Gera is from the tribe of Ben Yamin, And this Midrash is assuming that Mordechai is a descendant of, um, of uh, Shimi Shimei ben Gera. Not very a positive person, but anyway. Um, and therefore, when you say Yehudi, he is alive on account of the mercy of David, who was from Yehuda. That's their claim. In other words, we claim him because we allowed him to be alive. And uh, Binyamin would say, no, he is actually from Binyamin, so we take credit for him. Okay, good. It's like, you know, if someone is born in one place, but then he gets an education in a different country, so who claims uh, who has claim over him? And Ravas Rav, Rav, Rav gives a different interpretation. says, no, the opposite. They weren't both trying to claim Mordechai, but they were trying to blame Mordechai and saying he's not from us, he's she's one of yours, and he's one of yours. There's a negative interpretation of Mordechai. Why? So um so one side would say, Look at what this Yehudi has done. And um, and what the Binyami did also bad. What do you mean that the Yehudi did? Well, that's talking again about David, who didn't kill Shim'i. He should have, he should have given him the death penalty. And if he did, if David did kill Shimi ben Gerah, then Mordechai would never have been born. And that would have been good. Why good? Because look at what Mordechai did. He he's the one that incited Haman. Uh, to be jealous and to decide to destroy the Jewish people. Mordechai, according to this, made a mistake. Why didn't Mordechai just bow down to Haman? Haman is the second in command. He says, everybody bow down to me. So what's the big deal? You know, it's not. There's no prohibition in bowing to a person. You go to Japan, everybody's bowing to each other. So what's the way of saying showing your subservience? So Mordechai, because of your own personal pride, you got Haman angry and now we're all going to be destroyed? right? You put the whole nation... In at risk and in peril, better that Mordechai wouldn't have been born. He's from you guys, he's from Yehuda. And others would blame Binyamin. Who is that? Who are they blaming? They're blaming Shaul because Shaul should have killed the king of Amalek, Agag. And now, because he didn't kill him, now Haman was born, and Haman's the one that's directly causing the people suffering. And so, when it says Ishimini uh, and Ishihudi uh, and Ishimini, they're both both tribes are blaming each other. Your guy, your ancestor, is the one that caused this problem. Your ancestor's one that caused this problem, and really fascinatingly, um, blaming not only Haman but Mordechai himself, who should have just bowed down. And last paragraph, so Rabbi Ochanan Amal Leolam, Me Binyamin Kaate, Mai Karile Yehudi, Al Shum Shekafar, Ba Abodazara. So Bi says, No, he really is, comes from Binyamin. Ishimini, it says that. Why does it call him Yehudi? Because he rejected Abodazara. She called Akofer Babodazara, Nekra Yehudi, Kiddiktib, Itai, Gublin Yehuda in. Anyone who rejects idolatry is called a Jew. Why so? Well, Yehudi, you could, uh, if you uh, pronounce the He like a Chet, they would, they, they pronounce Chets like Hez. Um, so then there'll be Yehudi, one who is a oneer one who declares Hashem is one. So if you reject idolatry, that means you accept God as one. And therefore, that's the play on words, are called Yehudi. Um, uh, as it says, there were certain Jews, Yehudain, right? Um, a pasuk and Daniel, and it says there, they don't serve your gods, they don't worship idols, and in that sense they are Yehudim. I think this is an impor- a, a important statement. It means that being a Yehudi isn't just about wh- wh- who your, what your lineage happens to be from this family or that family, but rather what makes a Jew a Jew is that fundamental belief in one God. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen v'amen.